Hello, my name is Ashling Tierney and I'm joined by Rebecca Saunders and we both work on the Bristol Features project and one of our main roles this year has been to develop a suite of four new optional units. So those are units designed for students uh, from a range of subject backgrounds, primarily in their first year but some second years as well. And they're meant to be interdisciplinary and challenging and engaging with the central themes of the Bristol Features project which are innovation and enterprise, global citizenship and sustainable development. Rebecca and I have been working on the behind the scenes design of the units to support the ideas of the unit directors um, who are focused on the content and the teaching and learning design. So Rebecca, would you like to give us an overview of the main areas of these units that you think that you've contributed on? The two of the big approaches that we wanted to take when we um, started developing the units were we wanted to do blended learning and we wanted to have a flipped classroom. Um, and those two things involved creating massive amounts of um, content, basically. So things like videos, um, Word documents, um, podcasts, that kind of thing everything designed especially to be hosted online. Um, so my role was to basically help um, in the processing of that kind of thing and the development of those assets. So um, as a part of the online content and the online stuff that we wanted to develop, we did a lot of filming um, because when you do flip classroom, obviously a lot of your content is online. So we thought, you know, we want to have a lot of contributors to the units, they're interdisciplinary. So we want to have people, you know, from English talking about their specialism or someone from computer science. Um, the really nice thing that we got to do on this unit was um, take those kind of guest lectures that they would be in a traditional unit and put them in video format. So. We filmed all around Bristol, um, we did some international filming as well, we went to Croatia. Um, and so there are really important logistic considerations when it comes to um, the organisation of that kind of thing. So obviously you can't just show up somewhere and film, you need to make sure that you've got the permission to do so. So we spoke to lots of different locations, um, making sure that you know we had the agreements in place, that you know they were paid on time. We were very flexible in terms of the contributors that we worked with. Obviously, we wanted to make the videos uh, visually engaging. So we used um, our relationship with our internal archives at the university to get you know, lots of images of things. And we also worked closely with the uh, council archives. So um, talk us through an example of an idea that an academic had and the, the range of actions that you have to take to make that vision happen or as close to that vision happen. So you've got your script writing, you need to figure out who's going to say it, you need to make sure that the script is appropriate for the audience. So there's a lot of work that goes into that um, behind the scenes and a lot of thought. Um, you need to make sure that all of your locations, like I was saying, your, your contracts, your timescales are you know in order and in line. You need to make sure that your, obviously your audiovisual sourcing is all sorted. You need to make sure your risk assessment is all sorted because obviously filming is, um, is, it can be quite dangerous. Like you're, you're lifting heavy stuff, there can be long days involved. Um, you're going to lots of national trust properties with elect electrical equipment. They want to know that it's all been pat tested and you're not going to um, set the place on fire. So the asset that you were talking about there is one of many, many documentaries that we worked on together. Yes, we did five. And uh, for part of that, we had to do a lot of research you mentioned, and that was including archival research, historic documents, yes. uh, primary materials and secondary write-ups on that. Yes. And 
in, you mentioned about tailoring that for the particular audience. What is it that you have to do to make a video really sing to the target audience of the first year student? How do you make it relevant? How do you make that content dynamic and interesting to them? Right, so I'm gonna start with the problem to that. So the problem when you are thinking about this is that you've got an interdisciplinary unit, right? It's open to, for example, one of our units had people from like history of art all the way to like civil engineering taking it. You need to make sure that the concepts, the language, the words that you were using are something that, you know, whilst shouldn't be patronizing, should make sense to first years, basically from lots of different, um, you know, academic backgrounds. So you really do need to make sure that the language that is being used, the turn of phrase, is something that is appropriate for the years of the first year, basically, and that's... So if someone was writing um, material that's more historic or archaeological in nature, they should not use the language that is specific to their unit in an interdisciplinary context. They should think about the audience, the student, and say, yeah. would a student from another faculty get this lingo, get this language? How yes. can we explain it in the best way for them? Right, because a lot of the language that we use as academics, we forget that it's loaded and that we forget that you know there there is a history there is a maybe a theoretical perspective that comes with the language that we use and it's not to say that you know it's a total no no that you can't use the language but it needs to be there in the curriculum so if you're saying you know for example in development if you're talking about gdp and growth and economics you also need to kind of explain the some of the theory at least behind it um, so really it all kind of needs to go part and parcel with your design of your unit um, and that kind of thing. So if we have a documentary that is meant to sing and be easily accessible to students from all faculties and we don't necessarily within that video asset have enough time to explain those terms, we can basically write them in a different way where we don't have to spend a large part of the uh, discussion explaining what the definition of culture or yeah. innovation is <laughs> that we can do things that work around those issues so that's that's about pitch isn't it yeah so a lot of the way I think we thought about it was like if this were a BBC documentary how would it kind of look and feel in tone um, which I think we achieved quite nicely but it is something that it is you know very important when you're thinking about making assets and the kind of documentaries that we did and we're very lucky in Bristol because we have a very dynamic and interesting city with a very rich history. And so we were able to go to lots of these locations, um, go to the SS Great Britain, for example, or up on the suspension bridge yeah. and film in these really fun locations. Did you do anything else that was particularly fun in your <laughs> filming? So when we um, were filming, we really wanted to get an idea of, of movement in the city. So obviously we were talking a lot about transport and a lot about um, moving and the way that the city was um, settled and um, obviously like the slave trade and things which really happened on water. So we, we filmed from a balloon, um, which was a really exciting opportunity and the, the footage that we got from that was really rich and interesting. Um, we also went on a, on a boat tour. Uh, we did a Bristol packet, um, like Avon Gorge boat tour it's called, and it goes all the way to like Pill and kind of like you can see Wales and you come all the way back and yeah that was it was really exciting and I think it gave the documentaries a really kind of special element to it. And a local feeling as well. And a local feeling yeah because balloons and, and things are kind of integral to Bristol it's kind of what you think about really. Um, so it was nice to, to film from one definitely. 
And from the students' perspective, those students who may not be from the southwest region, and indeed some of our students from abroad, it's nice for them to experience the city and experience these iconic scenes Mm. uh, that we've created ourselves. And just from a logistics and operational point of view and a financial point of view, actually filming this content from the balloon, doing bits to camera, it's actually more cost effective, isn't it? Because what's the alternative? Yeah, so the alternative really, when you're looking at making you know high quality video assets is that you spend a lot of money on somebody external, which is fine if you've got the budget to do it. But really, we found it a lot more cost effective to hire somebody internally who was very skilled, um, and then just kind of do it all ourselves, like sorting out the locations um, and permissions and that kind of thing isn't as stressful as you might think it is. It, it's really quite simple if you've got a spreadsheet and you stay on top of it. Um, and it's very easy to replicate and you do it at, you know, like a quarter of the cost really of what you would pay for an external film company to do it. So you mentioned some of the, the paperwork and right. risk assessments, location permissions and so on. So what kind of relationships did you have to build and what kind of systems did you have to put in place to manage these? Right, so when you're doing this kind of filming, I think a lot of it is about process. It's about understanding where you are exactly in terms of the production of each video. Um, and for each video, obviously, you just to kind of break it down in, in terms of how it works, you've got your pre-production stage where you're arranging all your um, locations and permissions and stuff. You've got your filming stage, the production stage, and then you've got your editing stage. And when you're doing what we were doing, which is like 30 videos kind of all at once, it can get a bit muddled, you can get a bit confused, um, but you really kind of need to narrow down and have good um, forward thinking, I think as well. You need to say, okay, right, we've paid you know X amount of money to film at the SS Great Britain. Let's get lots of shots. Let's see if we can reuse them. And let's see how many videos we can use these shots for. Um, so being really kind of like practical in that sense, but also being very like on top of, for example, I want to film at Colston Hall. What do they need in order for us to film at Colston Hall, right? They need a risk assessment, they need a, a location contract, they need this. Have I gotten it all sorted? And if you've got it all kind of like on a, a, on a spreadsheet that shows you the overview of where you are in terms of the locations, who's paid, how much does it cost, you can stay on top of it. So you mentioned as well that we had a lot of contributors um, right. across all of the units and I think we had in the region of 250 people Something, yeah, students, staff, people from the city of Bristol, um, yeah, all working together on these videos. So can you tell me a little bit about how you manage those relationships, the expectation management that comes with that, what we're asking them to do and how we get them to do it and feel that uh, they're being treated respectfully? Yeah, so the way that it works for us was that um, the academics that we worked with would say, you know, I'd really like to interview, you know, this person in the Department of History. And we say, yeah, fine, let's sort it out. So. The really the way that it works is you you treat them with the utmost respect from the first instance and you say hello you know I'm a colleague of XYZ I've heard that you're a specialist in this um, we'd really like to interview you uh, what this involves is and you you lay it out exactly and you say you know you're a specialist in this subject so you can really only prepare for an hour and the filming itself will be like two hours maximum. Do you think that you can fit it in your in your workload really? And then it's for them to say, you know, yes, I, I'm a person who does 
you know, the history of pirates or whatever, or, you know, no, I'm really not the right person for this job that you're looking for. And then, you know, give them the utmost flexibility. So with a lot of the people that we'd filmed, they'd be like, well, I'm only free on Wednesday afternoons. And we'd be like, you know, that's absolutely fine. We've got the flexibility in our workload. We were all um, flexi time. So, you know, we'd film them on a Wednesday afternoon. So really working respectfully with, especially with academics, it can be quite tricky. There's a lot of things that they're expected to do, especially in summer when it's your research time. Um, so yeah, just very much being aware of the workload that is involved with an academic. And then at the same time, like if you want to film a counsellor or someone in the local community, being respectful of their workload as well, making sure that you say to them, look, this is absolute, you don't have to do this. It would just be really nice for our students to kind of see what you do, see um, the city in a kind of wider sense. And um, most times, you know, the people that we asked to contribute were absolutely happy to, you know, really got the concept of what we were doing in terms of like interdisciplinary education. Um, one of the units especially involved kind of going out into the wider Bristol community, into like St. Paul's and Lawrence Hill, and everyone was really on board with, with what we were doing and the vision for that. Okay, so we mentioned working with some of these external uh, groups. Are there any particular examples of working with an external partner, an external contributor that were particularly meaningful for you? It was um, in the Global Citizenship Unit, so City Futures. Um, there was a section on kind of like the history of slavery in Bristol and how it worked. So we talked about things like um, you know, John Penny, who was the wealthiest man in all of Bristol, made his fortune in Nevis. And we spoke, you know, really kind of frankly about that kind of side of things. And also, um, you know, really try to capture the, the voice of the people that were enslaved, because I feel like that's kind of missing sometimes from a lot of our discourse on um, slavery and what happened. So, um, but also what was really meaningful to me was that we spoke about um, the kind of black experience and the ethnic minority experience in Bristol today, which is also something that's quite missing from the discourse when you talk about what it means to be, you know, an ethnic minority in, in Bristol or, you know, Bristol or whatever. Um, so we really try to focus on, you know, the positive things that the community are doing today. So we interviewed an artist who um, has a really, really great project. Michelle Curtis um, has a project called Iconic Black Bristolians. So she does like hand charcoal like drawings and they're absolutely amazing of um, people who, you know, have contributed positive, like black people basically, who've contributed positively to the experience in Bristol. So like artists, people who fought for civil rights in the 60s, people that uh, founded St. Paul's Carnival. And what was really special was when we were filming last year, it was the 50th anniversary of St. Paul's Carnival. So we got to go there and film, you know, people who um, were internal to the university, because obviously the university is a big sponsor of St. Paul's Carnival. So that was really, really special for me to kind of, you know, talk about the history of, of you know, the black experience. Um, so can you speak to uh, the ethos within the units of BME representation and also um, accessibility as to kind of elements in our design process? So those two things, I probably should have mentioned them earlier, they are absolutely fundamental for, you know, producing a video in, you know, a university. You need to make sure that your representation is covered, not even just a matter of like, 
you know it's important it's just it is it should be fundamental to everything that you do and it should absolutely never be an afterthought you should never ever film and then look at all this footage that you've got and then go oh shoot it's not accessible or we don't have a minority voice or whatever um, it should be integral to the design. So when we were filming, we were very conscious that, you know, we want to have the gender balance there. We want to have, you know, a, a diverse voice of um, ethnicities, for example. Um, so these are really things that are, are integral to the design. Um, in terms of accessibility, there are some great companies out there who do things like closed captioning, for example. So you don't have to feel like it's a burden on you or whatever. It, it's very, very simple to organize. Um, and things like when you're producing a document, making it in high contrast for people that are colorblind. You might not think about that kind of thing because you you know, aren't colorblind, but for someone who is, it's, it's really important that they've been sought of. So um, it, just having that kind of like inclusive environment is, in, is incredibly important, I'd and say. And it's very important to have it from the inception of the project. Yes. So it becomes embedded because trying to do it as an afterthought afterwards. Well, it just won't work. Mm. I think we're in agreement. Yes. <laughs> um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was um, unrelated to our digital elements of the optional units was actually something that was unique to the City Futures unit, the one that's themed on global citizenship. And can you tell us a little bit about one of the activities that the unit director was really interested in and your role in making that happen? Right, so Kirk really, really wanted to have a like end of year showcase as part of um, you know what his students did. So his students, like we were saying kind of before, were really encouraged to go out into the wider Bristol community, um, places that they might never have visited before. And as a part of their unit in the assessment, um, they produced short videos, you know, kind of two, three minutes on what they'd found. So his idea was, you know, let's have a big showcase, let's have a party basically, um, and let's, you know, show these videos so our students can see what they've been working on, like what other groups have been working on. Um, and we invited basically all the contributors to all of the units, um, senior members of staff, internal teams. We had a poetry reading from Bristol's Poet Laureate, which was amazing. Um, my role was kind of like organizing that really, um, thinking of all the fun stuff <laughs> to do really, because um, I'm closer in age to first years than you know some of the people that we're working with. So some of the ideas that we came up with was to have a popcorn machine, which obviously gives the vibe of like a cinema, um, which our students were quite excited about. We had a, a photo booth, which was really, really fun. Um, we had a Wheel of Fortune, which was my favorite thing personally. Um, we got our teaching assistants who were on the unit involved as well. And we gave out, you know, prizes to the students who then they spin the, spin the wheel. Um, you know, they could win a t-shirt or like some Amazon vouchers or candy. Somebody won 200 lollipops, which they were super excited about. So from Kirk's point of view, he wanted the showcase event. He wanted the students to see each other's work, to yes. learn from each other's work. So from a teaching and learning point of view, to have the students also feel valued. Yes. And for senior management to come in and see the outputs of our students engaging with our city, to think about it in our civic responsibility as an institution. Right, because this unit for me is 
is so, so special that I don't think there are many other units that do what this is doing. The students often, well, you know, will walk up and down Woodland Road for three years of their lives and never ever go, you know, anywhere else unless it's to East Wolf Park for a, for a Clif- festival. The Clifton Bubble, isn't the it? The Clifton Bubble, right. So getting our students out there into the wider Bristol community was, was really, really, it, it is special. And if we can get more units that do what this did, it would be fantastic. And there were definitely comments from the contributors um, to our units and people who are really important on the St. Paul Carnival's um, committee and stuff saying that, you know, some of the videos that they saw, a lot of them really, really got the concept of what we were going for. And it is something that, you know, we are aware of at the university. And now we've got, we've got an idea of how to kind of fix it and how to, well, maybe not fix it, but address it. We've got the tools in our hands to get our students more integrated into the community. And if you think about, we do this for like, a citizenship unit, what could we do for an engineering unit or for um, you know, a geography unit? There's a lot more stuff that we could be doing. Um, I think what I was really thrilled about was that in some cases, these types of showcase events, they're seen as slightly fluffy. Mm. And I think that when we actually ran it and when the, the staff at the university came along and witnessed it, they could really see the value. They could see um, an output of the unit because so many things that happen in units are, are invisible to the rest of the university. Right. But we'd done things where we had one of our other project assistants, Alex, um, create uh, bespoke minimalist posters of each of the video assets that we created for the unit and we had the people who contributed to those assets there and they got to walk into a venue that was cinema themed that was very celebratory and they were also being celebrated and the outputs of their contribution to the unit they could mm. see that in the yeah. narratives and locations that the students had chosen absolutely so they they saw how they were valued how their contribution was valued so they weren't just recognized and treated respectfully during the process of creating those by you right. and by Kirk and by others in the team but they actually got to see the, the result and the impact it made to the students and that made them feel even more kind yeah. of part of the narrative, part of the story and part of the unit's legacy mm. and part of what the university's actions are. And many of them commented, I believe, that they were really value the fact that they were invited to this event yeah. and that this event was special. There was something special about it. There was something really fun that we could have something that was fun and lighthearted and had a wheel of fortune and a popcorn <laughs> machine, but actually there was a lot of meat at the bone in terms of Absolutely. the value, the teaching and learning value for this. And I think vice versa as well, for our students to be able to meet people like, you know, Alvin Birdie, Rebecca Scott, who a lot of the times, you know, people that they might not meet, who are maybe a bit like behind the scenes and get to speak to them and say like, you know, I didn't know that you do what you did. I didn't know that the university procurement process was really helping um, local SMEs and things, you know. I think that's a really meaningful, engaging thing for the students also, which obviously comes as a kind of like networking event, but um, is special all around. And something that I think was really nice for us to do is that when we filmed the videos, we, we did share them with the people that we um, did film if they asked for it. So, you know, they were able to use the, the final videos on their own websites and things. And that was only because we developed these assets in-house. And from the inception, we said that anybody who's contributing to these units, we want to allow them access to what we technically own as intellectual property. Yeah. But because there is an ethos, a kind of a, um, a moral imperative to share and thank them and acknowledge them mm. we're in a position where we can share those assets and 
um, as long as they don't edit them without checking yeah. with us. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fine if they want to host them on their website. Um, there's very few of them that we have any kind of sensitivity rules around. There is nothing that yeah. is um, particularly in-house that we wouldn't want to have someone else look at. Mm. Uh, one of the areas that I wanted to talk to you about was um, throughout the process of developing the optional units, we also had a lot of student feedback, student engagement right. um, within the project team and then more broadly outside the um, other parts of the institution within the faculties. Can you speak a little to the student involvement? Basically, the, the ethos of having students involved in the design of units is, like, if you're not doing it, like, what are you doing? Like, your universities are for students as places of learning and your units are for students. So if you're going to develop a unit and not ask your students, sorry, what are you looking for? What do you want? Like, it, I really do find it quite funny. Um, so really with us, we were quite lucky that we had um, workshops constantly and we were, you know, asking our students, like, how do you like to be assessed? You know, what's your preferred method of assessment? What, what do you like? What do you not like? And kind of o asking those open questions and really opening a conversation with our students is important. In terms of assessment, we had several <laughs> workshops where we invited students um, from four different faculties. <clears throat> yes. Um, to come in and we invited second year students on purpose we did a little bit of bribery we gave them some pizza and some amazon vouchers to thank them for their time which i think is the respectful right thing to do yeah um but we did ask them what they thought about assessment uh what kind of assessment methods work within their faculty what they're familiar with what they're confident in um what risks they'd be willing to take in terms yeah. of assessments and we did that with different faculties so that we could really understand what are the things that all the students are saying they have confidence in or interest in and which are the ones that are particular to particular types of units or particular types of faculty um, subject disciplinary backgrounds mm. and you know you might have the traditional belief of art students and humanity students might be more familiar with writing longer essays, more comfortable with that, whereas students maybe from STEM backgrounds mm. might be a bit reticent about writing a two or three thousand word essay because that's not typically where they come from. So what other types of assessments we can do? We talked a lot about group work activities. Uh, we talked about video outputs as being one type of asset or podcasts or BBC style articles um, or other types of uh, online content that they could develop. Um, but we also had other types of workshops with students. Um, for our sustainable development unit, for example, we had um, workshops with the students before we developed the units. Uh, we checked in with students while we were delivering the units. And then afterwards we had some uh, anonymous feedback. And because we're super meta in our team, <laughs> we decided to do a feedback session on the feedback that we got. And you were co-running that session. How did that go? Yeah, it went really well. Um, students are really really engaged and even if they're you know quite shy about saying what they think they all absolutely have opinions on assessment they've absolutely got opinions of how they like you know content to be delivered and you know the students we were quite lucky that they were very um vocal in what they thought about things and some of the things that could have been different you know the the thing i thought that was quite funny was um the group work thing can be quite controversial at times because sometimes you get someone in your group that you know you don't see until you know the final day of delivery or whatever which is really interesting in terms of 
um, what we can do to mitigate that risk for them. And once we explain to them, you know, this isn't a thing where it's like, you're just absolutely chucked into the deep end and, you know, off you go in to do your group work or whatever. We explain to them, you know, we are, we are here for you. And there are channels in which you can, you know, voice these opinions and you give them the tools to do that. They absolutely, you know, do it and are really good at communicating with each other and are really good at saying the different ways that they like to work and dividing work and uh, having like different roles and that kind of thing. I think some of the criticisms against uh, group work are very fair and they've come up time and time again from our academic colleagues and from our students right. and a lot of it has to do with what if somebody or some people within our group aren't pulling their weight within the group and it's not fair and everyone else um, and if the marks are are averaged across everyone do some people get penalised even mm. if they did more work or do some people benefit from other people's work so a lot of the ways that we've addressed that in the design phase has been trying to have check-in points right. quite frequently. So within workshops face-to-face with our teaching assistants, with our unit directors, um, and also some of the forms within our sustainable development unit, there's a check-in form where you actually get to comment on how things are going. Right. It's an honesty check-in Which point. doesn't happen in real life. No. The, the way that I, I, I speak to a lot of people from industry sometimes, and they are kind of really interested in what we're doing because of the fact that, you know, group work, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you think about it, is a part of the workplace. Like, what workplace will you go into where you, you know, don't have to work in a team or maybe you don't have someone that pulls their own weight in real life like what are you going to do the way that I've been describing this to people is that you know we've, we've been giving our students a really safe space to get it wrong and to kind of figure out what works best for them because you know if you're 18 and you're you know coming to university and it's the first time you've been away from home you're learning so much about yourself so to learn the kind of person in terms of a learner what kind of learner you are as well as how you work in a group situation I think is very important at that age. So we're not just focused on the actual output or the quality of the output that no, we're generating. It's the process. Mm. It's the process and that's so important. I think that's something that we forget sometimes is that, you know, it's okay to fail. It's absolutely okay to get things wrong. It's okay to be like, I tried this and it didn't work. So I think what's really important about these units and what's quite special is that when you work in a group work capacity, especially with the checkpoints and this kind of you know safety, for lack of a better word, the safety features that we put in, they're very important for our students because it gave them a safe space to get it wrong. When you go into the workplace, like find me a workplace where you don't have to work in a group you absolutely have to work in a group and do you know what in the workplace there are people that maybe do less than what they should and you have to learn how to deal with that in an adult and a professional manner so that's what i think is important about this group work process maybe it is you know the the output of the work ultimately has to be assessed that's fine but it's also the process of like Whilst you're figuring out what kind of learner you are, you're figuring out what kind of person you are when you work in a group. What roles are you comfortable taking? What roles are you maybe uncomfortable taking? What can you be better at? And it's giving you this really, you know, safe space really to get it wrong and to kind of explore, which I think more units could do. What I quite liked about the showcase event was that it was a, it was a presentation opportunity for the students. And so they had, uh, they arrived in their group, they had a laptop that we provided on the day. Right. And they would have their video play in a loop. And a lot of the time when students are asked to do kind of presentation work, 
they get up on stage individually typically and they speak out loud to an audience right and that presentation um is that opportunity to practice the way you might do a conference presentation and just you know public speaking right there's many many good things about that what i've noticed from my own experience my own teaching is there's many students who feel a great deal of anxiety about presenting in public Mm. and i've been worried in the past in my own practice about um am i putting people in a situation where um, they're terribly uncomfortable and uh, their anxiety is going through the roof. And I've had instances where students point blank refuse to do any sort of presentation. Yeah. And it's something that I've noticed there's a growing trend towards. Huh. Um, in Yeah, in the last decade or so, I've seen more and more students articulate that it makes them particularly anxious. Mm. And so I felt with this showcase event, what I quite liked about it was that if they were anxious in public, in a public setting, the focus wasn't on them as an individual. They were one of a group. Right. They Of quote, many groups as of well. Of many groups so. in the same room. So there isn't that I'm speaking to hundreds of people. It's more like I'm speaking to a small group of people or an individual at a time. I don't have to speak if I'm not feeling in the mood. Mm. But if someone is asking questions, somebody in the group or anybody in the group can speak. And I think it allowed them that space where they could engage on um, on the level they wanted to engage with. And they could either let their work speak for themselves or they could uh, jump in, but they were still getting the opportunity to present to the public and members of the public as right. well as their peers and members of staff at the institution. Yeah. And I just, I kind of thought it was a nice dynamic. Yeah, I agree. I think that it kind of did take the pressure off. None of them, you know, seemed particularly stressed. It was something that a few of them said in the feedback was is something that they really enjoyed. And I definitely think in the design of units in the future, those kinds of things, you know, presentation skills, should be taken into account because you need to provide an environment where people can develop public speaking skills. I think that can be quite important, but do it in a way that like accommodates for for everybody, accommodates for someone who you know really, really doesn't want to do it and maybe accommodates for someone who would like to do it a bit more. There is something about the design of a unit that is different from designing a programme. You can do things within a multi-year programme where you year on year develop the skills and develop the support systems around them. Yeah. So you can transition the student from small scale uh, presentation or versions of public speaking so that they give, they're given opportunities to develop their, con- their confidence without necessarily feeling at risk or stressed. We don't have that option within an optional unit. We have to think about we we have them for this time for this one term we don't have them before and we don't have them after right so i think taking these types of approaches and not putting the student in position where they feel overly stressed is an appropriate way to to treat these optional units so i think there is a difference between program level and unit level assessment presentation and expectations yeah i agree and that's more of a kind of teaching and learning systems approach to the way our units are designed yes So Rebecca, we've talked a lot about the optional units and we've just touched on the surface of some of the work that you've done for them (laughs) and the surface of some of the content. What would you say are your overarching kind of big wins, big successes for these optional units um, and maybe things that other academic teams can take forward and learn from? The fact that we delivered the units, I think, you know, great success, Um, especially because, you know, the institution hasn't seen anything like it before. So to be involved in this kind of planning and delivery shows that it can be done. So I think this kind of 
you know, seeing the project as a as a jumping off point, I think really like the world is our oyster now in terms of what we can do in curriculum development. So we started in, say, February time mm. and we delivered the following end of September and we were able to get that running at the same time as still in development for two other units, mm. which, de- uh, which were delivered the following January. So it was a very high pressure, uh, short time scale for something that was quite ambitious and uh, quite big scale because we were looking at delivering and we did deliver for over 550 students who signed up to the units and we're looking Mm -hmm. ahead to next year we're probably going to have closer to a thousand students on these units that's loads of students and to really kind of engage with them meaningfully in that way and to prove that we did it with the resources and the time that we had you know proves that it can be done so to you know kind of maybe looking at develop these units for faculty specific or whatever like wherever it, it goes from here I think will be really interesting to see. Um, in terms of like personal success, you know, the videos I thought were amazing. If you get a chance to see them, anybody that's listening, you know, they're, they're great quality. We'll see about putting a link at the end. Um, you know, really good quality, really amazing in terms of engaging with the local community, you know, really visually impactful. The content I thought was all, you know, great. Yeah, so those two things for me are are really the kind of two key successes of what we did, you know, delivering the units and, you know, being in the classroom, classroom for one of the units, um, delivery was also quite special. So, okay, so overall, the successes when we're looking at them is we were able to deliver extremely high quality video assets that really are more than a lecture replacement. There's something special about many of them. They're telling personal stories, they're engaging with our wider communities. Right. They're bringing a richness within the curriculum, which isn't typical. And it's going outside the unit director's expertise. So they're really drawing on wider resources and they're using that to, um, to adapt it within an academic context and bring it in to enrich the curriculum in a meaningful way. And then a lot of the time it's to do with how we're relating to other people outside the institution, how we can work together. And in some of the instances, some of the examples, how we're really engaging with our city, the city of Bristol, um, and collaborating well with them and showing our students what's out there and how they're learning, doesn't matter what subject they're coming from, because they're from all different backgrounds, that their subject can contribute to these big global challenges, these big issues, and giving them meaning for their research. And hopefully, as some of the students have said to us in the feedback, these units have changed their worldview. Mm. And many of the students have become uh, quite active in the community organisations that were featured in some of these units. Right. For me, is really exciting. Yeah. And some of them said that they wanted to change their career trajectory because the unit's been quite inspiring. And I think that really, for us as a development team, it gives us a sense of, I don't know, pride in our work. God, it's, it's all you can ask for, isn't it, really, yes. to, to deliver content that your students engage with. And now Rebecca and I are going to leave you and we're going to go pat each other on the back because um, we're feeling <laughs> very positive about this entire experience. Absolutely. Uh, come talk to us if you want to talk about unit development in the future. Bye-bye.